Hello and welcome to another episode of The Narrative Labyrinth, where we discuss film, TV, literature and games with in-depth review, discussion and analysis. I'm your host Rachel and today I'm joined by a selection of guests ready to talk about the LGBTQ community and how that has been represented in children's cartoons. Please welcome my guests. Hi, I'm Eli Ramos. I didn't know how much I wanted to like say my intro stuff, but uh, I was recommended to this podcast by Andy from The Great Derelict. So if you're listening to this, hi, thanks for recommending me. Um, and I want—I also really care about just like queer media. I write a lot of queer media. I care a lot about animation and watched a lot of animation while growing up. So, and still. <laughs> and hi, I'm Zoe. Uh, I have been dragged back again for this one, but this is a subject very close to my heart. Excellent. So I want to make it clear to our listeners um, out in the world of wherever you're listening to this podcast that we will be using the term queer throughout this podcast to refer to the LGBTQAI community. And we are going to be using this in a positive way. We are not using this as a slur. However, we are aware some people still find that word difficult, but we will be using it throughout the show. If you think that might be an issue, maybe this is not the show for you today. So now we've got the disclaimer out the way. We've welcomed everybody. Yes, we are here to discuss the representation of queer characters in animated franchise, predominantly aimed at children or kids. Um, We could talk probably for literally light years um, if we included adult animation or if we included uh, anime. But we are we're leaving both of those for other weeks to discuss and focusing purely on kind of Western animation and how that representation happens uh do uh eli do you have anything you'd like to to say to start off with anything you want to kick us off with i'm I'm saying this because i'm like 23 so like i i feel like i kind of got luckily sat in like the middle of uh people starting to put out lgbtq plus stuff in animation like i was i I think i was like 16 when steven universe put out its first episode officially on cartoon network so like i got to like be not necessarily within like the the strict target demographic for that but like getting to also see things like legend of korra and like adventure time i kind of got to be like in the the zeitgeist of watching that while i was still sort of like in what people would term be like appropriate age for watching those and why do you think those queer stories are important that you saw at that age yeah well i think like a a major part of it was like so I, I had already started trying to, like, figure out identity stuff, like, probably from the time I was, like, 13 onwards. But I think it was very exciting for me to start seeing that be, like, representation offered for younger people. Like, when I was 13, right? Like, none of that stuff had really come out. It, I think it was still very taboo in a lot of ways to, to you know, talk about LGBTQ plus representation. And most of my representation was just like people in fandom being like i would love if these two characters were gay and i'm like yeah but i will never get to see myself actually like represented and then they were like oh hey these two like women get married i was like whoa awesome like so there there is like now like a breadth of representation and it was exciting for like media to come out and be like no like we are actually just going to represent you you don't have to like read into queer coding you don't have to like you know just say like what if I could be there it's like no you actually get to see yourself on the screen or like a representation of your community is like here we are providing it to you and I guess Zoe bringing you into that you're older um, (laughs) thank you for putting that politely yes that's true Uh, yeah, so for me, it's really fascinating watching all of these shows now with my son, who's 11, 
um, and reflecting on when I was his age and there was nothing like this. Uh, so I grew up, you know, very northern, um, very working class family. I remember sitting around listening to my mum's friends talk um, and there was an acknowledgement that kind of gay people existed, but do not ever talk about bisexual people because they're disgusting and gross. You know, that was the kind of stuff I would hear growing up. I wonder why I waited until I was in my 30s to come out. Um, and it just, it really wasn't a thing. The first thing I remember seeing on TV that was in any way acknowledgement in a positive sense was when Ellen came out, that's how old I am. Um, so, you know, there was nothing for a younger age demographic where there was kind of any queer characters or portrayals that were positive. There was potentially some hints where you could, you know, queer code characters, but they would tend to be villains, etc. Um, there was nothing in a positive light. So it's been really exciting for me to watch all of this uh, with my child and sitting there thinking, oh, wow, there's just, there's plethora of characters in a positive light that we can see and it's amazing um and just how much he completely accepts all of these things which you know a he would because you know he gr grow is growing up in a queer household but he just completely accepts that all of these characters are queer and here and exist and there's no surprise between him and his friends it's all just really accepted and normal and how much better that is I think that's really interesting. You've both got to, uh, there's kind of three, I'm not going to say generations because I know you're not that old, Zoe, but there's kind Thanks. of uh, <laughs> three versions across there. Um, and I kind of sit somewhere between uh, kind of Eli and Zoe um, in terms of when I was a teen, there was definitely not a lot slash nothing, but it was starting to be hinted at by certain characters that this might be a thing or this could be a thing. Uh, that that these characters are um, almost queer baiting, uh, as you might want to say. Um, so now we've kind of discussed the wider. Let's uh, talk about some shows directly. Have either of you got a show that you want to mention? You know, I feel like I. So I kind of brought up Steven Universe like a little bit earlier. That like that was one of the things, but I feel like that that that's kind of like the main thing that people talk about a lot. So I almost want to bring in like a different thing. I actually just want to like touch really quickly on the whatever happened to Robot Jones one, because it's literally one episode in there that has any sort of hint towards it. But it to me, I think that it's like one of those rare things where I'm like, oh, cool. Like they actually talked about gender, which I think when I emailed you, um, I sort of was talking about how a lot of queer representation is very much like on the axis of sexuality like it's it's like you know we have lesbian characters and we have gay like male characters but uh talking about being trans is like definitely especially like something that people don't seem to want children to like explore their gender at all um but yeah like i think with whatever happened to robot jones is like just like an old cartoon I watched because I saw like a video essay talking about gender exploration in it and it's literally just like this cartoon where it's like oh we have like a robot character and he is just like sent off to explore what like being a human is like um and there's one episode where he is like okay what's gender like because he mostly hangs out with boys and he uses he him pronouns um 
But then he's like, okay, there doesn't seem to actually be any real tangible difference between like women and men. Like they're like, especially in high school, which like he's attending like middle school to high school essentially. Uh, and he's like, there's really no difference. Like I can hang out with girls. I can hang out with guys. Both are pretty inscrutable to me as a robot. So I think I'm just going to be myself, which for me, like watching that as someone like retroactively reflecting on that, I'm like, that's a surprisingly nuanced take for like a cartoon that was being released like early 2000s to have about gender. Um, but it's one episode and then like that doesn't really carry over into other plot stuff. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is if that episode had come out now, so 20 years later, wow, that's a depressing thing to say, uh, but if that episode had come out now, uh, that would be, it would still be uh, kind of held up on quite a high pedestal, it'd still be very nuanced. We haven't come very far in kind of that that part of the axis of, of, of gender identity. I think you're right, I think queer sexuality uh, is is a lot more explored in our in our. Uh, animated shows uh, particularly the ones aimed at children uh, but yeah I think uh, gender is something that is really um, not explored as much and you could say things like well the new She-Ra uh, and the princesses of power you have Perfumer who the creator has said is uh, transgender but it's not explicitly stated within the show uh, you've got Danger and Egg uh, but again that was like a one season uh, show that didn't have huge mass market. Um, I think Zoe, you mentioned uh, when I invited you on this as a character in the Dragon Prince series that's also non-binary. Yes, uh, one of the Sun Elves, the interpreter, uh, uses they/them pronouns. Although again, it's not explicit in the show. I think it's something the writers have come out and said. Uh, for those of you who clocked it, yes, absolutely, uh, that character uses they them pronouns um so i definitely think it's it's still an area that's underrepresented um i think we're definitely seeing more characters coming forward who are kind of non-binary and using they them um but what we're not really seeing at least in kind of young adult and below kind of media is the journey that those characters go on we tend to get introduced to them and they use they them it's not a well, this character starts off um, and explores their gender and kind of realizes who they are and, you know, who they are meant to be, et cetera. We don't really get to see that journey a lot um, in kind of kids' cartoons, et cetera. It, I think certainly for the characters that I remember seeing and discussing uh, with my child, it, it's very much been a, oh, yeah, they are a they them. Okay. So thinking about this axis, um, and as we say, we're talking predominantly about uh, sexuality because we haven't got a lot of uh, gender representation uh, at the moment or that's been particularly prevalent. Um, and our creators are, though, saying they want it. They are struggling to to get that in there. Um, I think it's important that we talk about what kind of happened in Hollywood in the 1930s um, that kind of led to what defined television and film for the next 90 years um and that is uh well informally known as the Hayes code um but it was the motion picture production code um set out in the 30s um and it was kind of a code put in that really governed how hollywood uh was then run and it was a set of rules uh for american filmmakers to shape the way they make films and it has loads of different kind of uh things that you had to do and couldn't do um 
and it was increasingly difficult to get funding if it was not if you didn't uh, adhere to the Hayes Code. Yeah, I, I would not say I'm like by any means like an expert on you know like Hayes Code stuff or just like cinema in general. But my partner really likes film, and it's like uh, something we talk about a lot is just like being able to draw like you know the Hayes Code really originated out of like fear of like representation and like you know general world stretching fears of like like you know foreign enemies who are trying to like infiltrate the united states and stuff which is why there's so much patriotism in it and that's like also reflected a lot in like comic book codes and stuff at the same time where it's like these were stories especially like when you look at like filmmakers who were especially getting slammed on stuff for the Hayes code which was like primarily like jewish people um and like people of color who managed to like have made their way into hollywood the you know any sort of code that's like oh we can't show like you know something that we consider perverse is usually just like you know the more subtle way of saying like we really don't want to see people that are different from like the norm or like different from these particular standards that we're upholding or setting so that you will be barred from existing basically um that is like and like the effects of that even still obviously have you know stopped a lot of lgbtq plus representation and like from explicitly talking about religion in ways that aren't like super stereotypes like i think the point that you make where it's like you couldn't parody christianity but like you could definitely parody judaism and like islam and you can a hundred percent make stereotypes of like gay people and trans people but if you try and show it in like a nuanced and loving way they're like that's perverse it's perverse when you're not making a joke out of it i would agree with that and i think that's really evident um in the uh, character Betty Boop and the uh, films that were made about her in the very late 20s and early 30s, um, to the ones that were made after the Hayes Co. came in, so kind of 1933, 1934 and onwards. And that kind of very sexualized appeal that she had was very, very changed into something more um, appropriate for audiences uh, within this Hayes Code um, way. So... I think it's fair to say that from the Hayes Code, um, there was it did not stop queer representation completely, but actually it made it quite damaging, and it reverted a lot to um, harmful stereo what we would now call harmful stereotypes, but at the time were just stereotypes. So, uh, gay men particularly uh, being extremely effeminate, very uh, flouncy, very feminine, um, and I think you can see that right the way through. Um, well, realistically in some respects still now, but particularly if you look at properties in kind of the 50s and 60s and 70s, where if you were going to see a, a gay male character, they were going to be extremely flamboyant um, or the villain, um, which is something I've written an essay on in the past is the, uh, the, the animated villains and how queer they are. Um, and Disney was particularly good at that uh, right the way through into the 90s. You think um, in Pocahontas, uh, the villain that is extremely queer coded. Uh, you've got... Um, Beauty and the Beast, where the villains are queer-coded again, and other kind of properties, even in the 90s, where the villain... Scar. I mean, I know he's a lion, but Scar is really queer-coded. <laughs> yeah, British and queer, and they're obviously the bad the bad guy in a, in a Disney property. But even Ursula in The Little Mermaid, which is based on a drag queen um, at the time. So there's... There's kind of a precedent that that queer existed, but it was it was evil and fancy right. and flamboyant. 
And, like, not only that, but just the idea that, like, I mean, that's, like, long been the pervasive notion of, like, homophobia is that, you know, know, like, sexuality, any discussion of sexuality is inherently, like, sort of perverse and especially perverse when you're talking about, like, gay people. Um, Because it's, like, by doing that and by saying, like, you know, queer queerness is villainized and queerness is under, like, the you know, the branch of, like, perverse sexuality. It's just, like, continuing to reinforce the idea that, like, you can't show children gayness because it's perverse somehow, you know? I think it all comes down to the... It's the fear of the other. So it's really interesting. So obviously, Hayes Code, I think, was, like, 1934. Uh, Certainly in America at the time, you then had kind of the McCartney era kind of from the 40s onwards, and there was a lot happening in American politics that was all about the fear of the other. Um, and it was all portrayed as anti-American. Um, if you looked different, if you sounded different, you, your religion was different, your sexuality was different. If you were anything other than the American ideal, you were perverse and wrong. Uh, and I think that's really, really pervasive in a lot of kind of Western media. Um, and I, that's definitely where we get a lot of the kind of characters from. I mean, Disney's fantastic for it. Obviously, not only have you got a lot of the villains being very queer coded, but if you look at characters like Mother Gothel, you know, there's a lot of argument there about kind of that character being a really awful Jewish stereotype. Um, and again, that all comes from this fear of the other that was really, really pervasive, especially in the 30s and 40s. And even now we're really struggling to get away from and be able to kind of show that other is okay and actually we're all a little bit other everybody's different and that's something that should be accepted and welcomed not feared that was really nicely put (laughs) um so looking at that kind of period of time we're going to say everything pre-turn of the century i know that's a little bit late but let's be honest not a lot changed till that turn of the century um and turn of the millennium so uh rupaul uh as in rupaul charles from rupaul's drag race um all their faults aside, uh, has done a lot for the queer community and queer representation uh, in television particularly. They say one of their first introductions to drag um, as an art form and kind of drag as a, as a gay male expression was through Bugs Bunny, who in the 1940s would kiss uh, other male cartoon characters, would dress in drag, uh, complete with uh, uh, kind of boobs and makeup, and it's that was the, okay. It was the opera one, wasn't it? I definitely remember that when I was younger and being like oh hey Bugs is now wearing uh plaits and a dress and boobs and basically seducing Elma Fudd and there was a whole barbershop thing it was very bizarre uh but yeah Bugs did it a lot (laughs) but that was deemed okay because it was comedy and it was for fun and it was an animation and it wasn't real these were not real people that might be gay they might be gay but obviously not because uh, it's just a cartoon Bugs Bunny. so And Bugs it was Bunny... Bugs doing it to trick Elmer Fudd. Like, they were fooling Elmer Fudd into thinking they were a woman and then revealing that it was Bugs so Elmer Fudd would be embarrassed. It was a joke. Kind of played on them. It wasn't a thing to do to be like, ha, actually, you know, gay is okay. It's a ha, 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 you fell for this person you thought was a woman and we've revealed they're a man. Right, right. like, and and that, like, really plays into, like, transphobia, definitely. Like, there, I think the idea of, like, man in a dress comedy was, like, for a long time, a lot of trans women's, like, sense of, like, oh, so, like, 
you you can be like me but i'll always be the butt of the joke kind of thing like that that kind of transphobia i think was especially pervasive in comedy like i remember that they're like oh man having watched just like a lot of cartoons growing up that like yeah that seems to be like a very common joke guy's gonna dress up as a girl Uh oh oh my god not only is it gay but also like he he kissed a guy and the guy was pretending to be a woman isn't that funny uh yeah, and I think the 90s especially was still really bad for that. I hate comedy generally as a genre, and I think it's because I grew up and a lot watched a lot of comedy in the 90s where it was all about somebody being the butt of the joke, and so often it was a guy dressing up as a girl, generally in a fat suit, like Eddie Murphy, I'm looking yeah. at you. Yes, you, um, can't be, you can't be queer and not supermodel thin it's not allowed we've already said that it's just <laughs> it's yeah it's the truth um and yeah it was always done like about embarrassing somebody or making them the butt of the joke it was just always really uncomfortable and it's left me with such a sour taste when it comes to comedy now i have to get yeah. other people to watch it be like is anybody the butt of the joke like is there anybody like pretending to be a woman and there's a fat suit and they're going to seduce a guy and then because if so, I'm out. I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. And that's such a terribly low bar to have for your media. <laughs> like that shouldn't be that shouldn't be a difficult thing to aim for in a in a in a in a piece of you know recreational entertainment based media that um you know queer is not the butt of the joke as kind of a, a trope. Um, I think interestingly off that, uh, definitely in the in Britain and in the UK, we have uh, a somewhat different connotation sometimes with men dressing up as women uh, in our entertainment. Uh, we have quite a, a large tradition um, of pantomime dame. Yeah, so I'm a massive fan of panto because it was never about her being the joke because it was a man playing a woman. The the character was funny. Um, and she, you know, she had all the, the things like me babbies, me bands, and she'd always be really helpful and really there. And you knew it was a guy in a dress. Um, but when he was in the costume, he took it so seriously. It was never making fun of being a woman. It was never making a joke about other characters falling in love with them because they weren't really a woman because she was. The character was a woman. She was always somebody's mum. She was always, you know, there for her kids. She just always had a series of misadventures. So for me, I I was really fond of the pantomime dame, you know, and we had the principal boy as the counterpart to the pantomime dame. And again, yes, there'd be slightly uh, some jokes about how nice the legs were of, you know, the lead male um, and that kind of thing. But it was never... A joke about their sexuality or anything like that and if you look at Lily Savage um, and other characters again I think it was the same it was done when they were in character they were a woman you were never joking about the fact it was a man dressed as a woman and there was no joke about their sexuality or anything like that it was just this happens to be a male actor p- playing a female character but it was done with reverence and love I have I truly have no context for this so I'm like furiously just like googling to like look at <laughs> I'm like wow I honestly have no idea what this is but I mean like I certainly feel like it having done a lot of like drag shows and like organized drag stuff lot, lots of friends who do drag I feel like it's in the same spirit of like I I think that any performance of gender should like think 
you know, about how, like, all gender truly is performance, right? And then, like, when you say, like, okay, now I'm, I, as, like, someone who is typically perceived as this gender, I'm going to perform this, what, like, you know, other gender, I definitely think that there are tasteful ways of doing it and ways of doing it that are thinking about, like, the generalized performance aspect of gender and then there are some people who are just like whatever doing it for funsies and that's fine too um but i think like it, it kind of has me reflecting a little bit also on like the trope of like uh you know a girl is like oh i have to dress as a guy to to get into like a secret fortress or like do whatever like do this like typically male activity uh, and I always really liked those because I was like, ooh, I'm, I'm getting gender. I'm, I feel gender from, like, watching this girl transform into a, a guy and back again and, like, having, you know, that. And interestingly enough, that, like, makes me think a little bit of, like, um, a cartoon called Star vs. the Forces of Evil, which is, like, a created by Darren Nefsey, I think. Um, but there's a scene where Marco, the main boy and this is like a running thing in the show has to dress up as a princess to infiltrate a school for princesses and i was like i really liked those because it's like yeah he just gets to go by princess marco and like nobody really cares they're just like everyone just accepts like yeah the like this character is a princess it does not matter that he has like a typically masculine name or that star like kind of flips between using like she and he pronouns for marco it's just like oh yeah that's princess marco i thought that that was really great it never gets canonized obviously that it like if that's like a real like gender moment or anything i don't even really feel like the creators talked about it all that much uh, besides the fact that they were like if you headcanon like marco as a trans girl that's really cool but they didn't really make statements beyond that but i think that like again that like performance of like playing with gender can be done in ways where it's like that the fact that you are playing at another gender is not the focus of the joke yeah and i think uh I think the show you just mentioned does that really well. Um, and I think actually I quite like the fact that it's left open to interpretation. Are they uh, sexuality queer and like to, uh, you know, uh, performatively dress as a woman? Is it just a thing they have to do for, for this piece of plot or are they actually trans or gender fluid? Um, and I think that's actually, I think the lack of saying whether it is or isn't works really well for the show. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, truly also like so much of the queer experience like as a whole overlaps with each other like I think all the time about like my my like main group of friends in college who I'm still in contact with but obviously we all had to like move uh during the pandemic so we're all sort of split up now but like my main group of friends was like a lot of our friend group was taking testosterone but it's like we had like a lot of butch lesbians trans men who had similar experiences in taking testosterone uh, and it's like, yeah, because there's like overlap there and then like lots of non-binary people and like trans women who had a lot of overlap in like taking estrogen or just like dressing a certain way. I think that, you know, sometimes leaving it open ended is good so that people can say like that's definitely queer and I can also like feel myself in there if you don't explicitly say anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on, uh, this is tricked my memory of... Um a show uh that we all know um because it's existed longer than i've been alive which i always think's an insane thing to say um but the simpsons um started uh in the very very end of the 80s um and sadly is still limping on on television um and for a show that's existed for that long you'd expect that we could say some really positive things about how its representation has improved um 
but I don't think that's the case. Um, I'm thinking particularly of two characters within it which are um, queer, and that's uh, Wayland Smithers, who has been queer from, I think, the very, very, very beginning. Um, And Patty, who um, Marge is, one of Marge's sisters, one of the twins, uh, who is possibly gay, maybe not gay. They sort of did it in a couple of episodes and then wandered off and no, left she, it again she, she definitely is because she, i mean there was the whole thing about she attended pride and yeah so patty canonically is you've got smithers canonically is uh they did at one point bart had a trans sports coach didn't last but i think they're in a couple of episodes i'm still here for the future where lisa simpson is both queer and polyamorous but hey um it's it's tried in a few places i would say it's done it really painfully uh and yes given how long it's been running i think it could do it a hell of a lot better i think uh particularly wayland smithers has so many of those um original uh queer baiting really negative stereotypes and portrayals uh that they they haven't done enough to atone for those those mistakes that they've made Um, have you seen the announcement this week that he's getting a Smithers, boyfriend. Yeah, after all these years, Smithers finally gets a boyfriend. Like, come on, you can't make that a positive spin given how long this character has existed and how long they have existed as gay. Um, and how long they've been gay as a joke and their love for another character has been a joke for m- the entire run of the show. That was basically the punchline between Mr. Burns and Smithers uh, for ages. Um, but the episode that I want to talk about, I couldn't tell you which season it's in, or what number episode it is, but it's one where uh, Patty gets a girlfriend and they get married and it ends up being a man. Oh God, I had completely forgotten that. Like, I think I forced myself to forget that, but yes. In terms of bad kind of uh, representation, for me, that hits a really uh, sour note um, where uh, it doesn't feel like a gender exploration. It's not a sexuality exploration. It is... Uh, they are tricked, they're fooled into to being, to nearly marrying uh, a man who's pretending to be a woman and it all falls apart at the altar because they're actually a man. Um, and I feel there's no, there's no positive to that at all. No, the joke is that they were tricked. It, it's again, it's making gender and sexuality the butt of the joke. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, I think also it's just like the not just a joke but also feeding into like those harmful stereotypes that like someone who transitions isn't really a woman because it's like oh you like you're tricking a lesbian into thinking this stuff and it's just like man i i truly did not watch a lot of the simpsons growing up just like not really my thing and i i I don't know i guess i just never really watched it in favor of other stuff but like i always feel like that's what soured like any time i've tried to like sit down and just like watch through the simpsons or like watch through a thing it's like when you come across jokes like that it's just like man i don't even want to watch another episode of this that sucked so bad so the the um i'll give you the synopsis of the episode um so uh it's called there's something about marrying uh it's in the 16th season um so you're it's from 2005 so you're not talking it's from like 1995 where you could sort of maybe forgive this as a uh plot because it's uh it's not you know uh as modern but you know this is this is not that old 
It's uh, Springfield is legalizing same-sex marriage to increase tourism. So again, we're sexuality is although not a joke, it's it's a complete business decision. It's not through any you know kind of uh, decision to to improve things for people. It's just about money. Um, Homer becomes a minister and starts to web people to make money. Uh, meanwhile, Marge's sister Patty comes out as a lesbian and reveals she's going to marry a woman named Veronica. Marge originally disapproves of this, making Patty frustrated. When Marge accidentally discovers that Veronica is a man cross-dressing as a woman, she decides to quite to keep quiet about knowing that um, and letting Patty marry a man. However, at the ceremony, ceremony, she's so moved by Patty's vows that she's forced to reveal Veronica's secret and the ceremony is abruptly cancelled. Marge tells Patty that she now accepts her sexuality. Oh, I don't even know where to start with that. That's just a whole bucket load of no and i don't think anything about it is particularly positive other than a character comes out as a lesbian and then is gaslit by her own family and her partner who she assumedly loved if she was going to marry them turns out to be not the gender they thought in a malicious way it's not you know it's not a loving way it's 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 a malicious thing and i think it really doesn't i don't think it's positive for trans representation at all i mean i think that that's like one of the things i i like right not like a lot a lot but i have written about like just representational uh you know gayness and queerness in as a whole um but like you know whenever a tv show gets praised or like whatever for like oh we had a character come out it's like man that can't be the only criterion for like this is a good episode for gay people to watch like i feel like having like now like you know poured through like lists of like oh like this this is good representation this is bad representation and it's like first of all it's kind of subjective so it's hard to say what's like good and what's bad but you can definitely say like you know for sure there's like a kind of problematic or awful aspect of this that seems like it kind of disqualifies it from being good in anybody's textbook but like so often it's just like oh if a character comes out good they have gay people on this show it's like but how are the gay people getting treated like are they seen as people are they seen as jokes are they like taught talked about in one episode and never brought up again like it really cannot be the standard that a character just happens to come out at this point i think it's uh uh i'm, I'm gonna totally mispronounce that is it the the bechtel test um where it's about um you know, uh, what counts as a good representation for women. And it's basically two women in a movie have a conversation that isn't about a man. That's it. That's, 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 that's the test. Right. And like, even that was like originated from Alison Bechdel's friend saying like, oh, I want to see lesbians in a movie. And now it's just like, now I just want to see women who don't talk about men because at the very least, if they don't talk about men, you can at least pretend a little bit that they are lesbians. You know what I mean? Like, that's so... Uh, yeah um and that that is a low bar in itself and i think you're right i think the the bar of i'd like to have acknowledgement that a character is 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 canonically queer um is not enough i think for me the bit i enjoy or the bit that warms my my cold dead heart um (laughs) is when queerness is just so embedded in the show it's not a thing you know oh that person has two dads or oh that person has two mums or Oh, they dated, you know, men and women, or, or you know, they they didn't they they were pansexual, um, and it's not like 
a core part of the whole story. It's just a thing that exists within that universe. And I think some shows do that much better than others. Um, definitely. Um, I think particularly kids cartoon wise, a show that does it really well for me at the moment is Owl House, uh, which is on Disney, uh, although they have just cancelled it. So obviously. Yeah, but mind. it's getting it's getting like a movie yeah, I and think... stuff, right? Or at least that's my understanding. Uh, so it's done two seasons and then they're doing three 45 minute episodes instead of a third season to wrap it up fascinating um and the uh, not official reason for it being cancelled but the very very um kind of well-known not secret for the reason it's being cancelled is because they can't market it to all their countries the syndication countries uh because it's got queer representation in it and there's certain places in the world where that cannot then be shown and therefore it's too gay yeah, and there's definitely something, when I was trying to make my list earlier, um, I was trying to note down studios as well, and that's fascinating. So, you know, we've already said Disney are bad at this. Disney remain bad at this. Like, I loved Onwards as a film. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. I play a D&D. It's great. Um, but I remember Disney trying to be get me really excited about the fact it had a queer character, and I was like, okay, but are they... Are they an A-list character in this? Are they a B-list character? Are they? Do you refer to them once? Is this like the whole thing with the live-action Beauty and the Beast where you have a throwaway scene at the end because I've still not forgiven you for that? Um, yeah, Disney well, just Disney, really Disney can only um, do gay if they can edit it out for uh, international markets, which, basically. Like, I, also, yeah. I, I also want to push back slightly on that only if to say, like, I also think, like, I don't want to necessarily like, you know, play too much into like xenophobia and say like, oh, it's because they can't market it to like, you know, Chinese audiences or something. Cause it's like, in some ways, like I also know a lot of gay Chinese people. You know what I mean? Like it's not <laughs> their fault. I think that I'm also just like, it's also that like they want to edit it out for people here in the United States too. Like, and like homophobia here is like still extremely rampant. I think like, I say this also just because, like, I am, like, a like a queer brown person living in California. And, like, even in California, which everybody holds up as, like, ooh, it's so awesome here for queer people. I'm like, no, it's not. I grew up in, like, a super homophobic town even here. And, like, I did not get the chance to see some queer media because, like, you know, like, it'd be like, oh, gay movie. Maybe we should, like, you know, have, like, a field trip to go see it. And then, you know, the school board or, like, PTA would be like, no, we can't let children see gay stuff. And that's in California, you know? So I am I am only slightly pushing back on the idea that it's necessarily always international markets. Like, there's homophobia here, too. Oh, no, please do push back. Um, yeah. I think uh, sometimes that's our privilege that we forget here in the UK um, that we are sometimes more... Mm, the word progressive is not the word I want, so I'm going to take that out. Um, we're not, um, <laughs> we do have sometimes more freedom with our media content. Um, and I think sometimes the fact that our media, some of it is state owned and some of it is private owned actually um, means we can get a lot more variety. We do, we, mm -hmm. we do have more, um, not necessarily all good, yeah. but there is, um, I'm talking more adult rather than kids but it is it has been more prevalent maybe for longer and i think i think that definitely has led to when they do say things like we've got the first queer marvel character 
and it is you know a, a a person in a room in a therapy session or the beauty and the beast thing or the um thing in onward uh outward onward. right like out, onward onward i think it's funny that like disney is constantly like that's obviously like the running joke online where it's like disney's first gay character and it's like the 45th time you've heard them say oh my god our first gay character i think yeah. there's a lot of um self uh, from from Disney or from studios that do this, there's a lot of kind of um, self patting on the back here, right. saying how wonderful we are because we've got this 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 queer character, and I think there's um, an expectation that the the queer community is supposed to be really thankful that that two second cameo from from the police officer or the person in the therapy session uh, is is there, and in some ways yes it's good because they're embedded in the normal world that you've created, but at the same time they are they're not the story they're the side of the story right so i think it's really fascinating especially when you look at it's the whole paywall debate isn't it like there is a whole host of kind of queer characters and representation but most of it's available behind a paywall and i think in the uk that's actually why we get so much of it because hey capitalism if you're willing to pay for it it's there um but you know even if you look at say you take kind of disney nickelodeon uh, Cartoon Network and I don't know, like Netflix as your four comparisons. Um, Disney, oh, they really struggle, bless them. Nickelodeon, I think in some ways do really, really well. But if you then look at where that representation is, a lot of it's kind of on social media, it's online, it's not actually in the shows itself necessarily. Um, I'm giving them a pass mainly because I love Nina West. Nina West is my gal when it comes to drag queens and the team up that Nickelodeon and Nina West have done over Pride, that stupid rainbow song got stuck in my head for weeks um, and Blue's Clues and the Pride Parade. Um, I loved it. I'm here for it. So, you know, they are really trying and where Nick are actually pushing it really well is actually some of the younger age demographic, which I think is good. Um, obviously, Cartoon Network again i think are trying you know they've got some really good stuff in there and then i think netflix are doing a superb job um but you know it's that whole paywall debate and you know netflix you're paying for the privilege so the content is there um cartoon network and nickelodeon you know it's there disney is it right are they doing it in the right places maybe not but it's there but they're all kind of certainly in the uk cable channels that you pay for the privilege of watching um, when I was trying to make my list and think about things, I really struggled when it came to things that would have been free or not behind a paywall, certainly over here. I'm trying to think. Uh, Arthur is not behind a paywall in the UK, but I don't know if it's uh, public access in America or not. I'm pretty sure it is. I have to think about that because... So here's the thing also like about like my own media like consumption as a child... Um, I like straight didn't have a TV like we just didn't have a, a television so anytime I was watching stuff I was like at my friend's house and then when we had like a family personal computer it was a lot about like just pirating stuff straight up to watch um, because like I said we didn't really have televisions so I'm actually not sure what stuff is free and what's not because it was all free when we were using LimeWire back in the day. <laughs> But I mean, that's that's a large portion of the way I saw stuff um, at kind of the in the first decade of the 21st century um, is it did have to be um, 
kind of streamed. And if you want more on this topic, go listen to my uh, episode called uh, <laughs> uh, Syndication, Streaming and Storytelling, um, where we talk about it. But it's completely relevant um, here. <laughs> uh, Arthur, Arthur was PBS, by the way. So I'm that's, that's public so that access in free. America. Yes. Um, but they've had a huge backlash about yeah. having Arthur's teacher get married to another to, oh, the, the gay to, rat wedding yeah, yeah yeah and i'm not sure um, uh, um i haven't watched yep. it apparently it was done very well but yeah my child was too old by that point so i i read about it but i haven't seen it i was trying to think so over here i think um a lot of the nickelodeon stuff or cartoon network stuff i think they buddied up with channel four for a while so you would have got that free on a saturday morning i think like arthur um scooby-doo adventure time was definitely i think shown on like saturday mornings on channel four but i honestly can't remember you mean itv and arthur was on bbc thank you very much (laughs) i don't remember look i just watched the things on tv i invested i was early on to this streaming bandwagon i was one of the okay so we mentioned gay weddings. Are we all aware that the first kind of queer wedding um, on television was uh, Steven Universe? Yes. Are we aware when that was and how horribly recent that was? Oh my, that's is yes. the Ruby and Sapphire wedding has to. I think I was in college when that happened, so that can't have been more than like maybe like around three years ago. I want to say twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen is when we had the first queer wedding in a kid's cartoon which ouch um (laughs) um obviously unless you count the simpsons one from 2005 uh which we don't i guess (laughs) (laughs) yeah we don't we've already discussed we don't discuss that i'm trying to think so one thing i've definitely started noticing more because i am a parent is when characters have gay parents and i'm like living for this at the moment i just sit there and every time one's on tv i'm like yeah (laughs) um so um was it the first season of dragon prince uh where we got introduced to the the two queens that were ruling the neighboring kingdom because they're definitely like some of the first queer mums i remember seeing on a kid's cartoon and being really excited about well they weren't just queens were they there was there was no um like question about it like they were badass (laughs) rulers of this this kingdom and and you can shut up or go home um to the place of fire over there um yeah so dragon prince has done it um shira's done it a lot yeah um i think some others have done it yeah the loud house clarence um it's the parents of jeff yeah oh it's clarence's best friend yeah jeff's parents jeff's mom's and they um, do have a little episode together where they, I think they do like a baking show or something. That one was cute. I like I liked Clarence a lot actually. I re- I <laughs> my son loves Clarence. I hate it because I find his voice really annoying. So whenever we have to watch it, I'm just like, no, not Clarence. But I am here for the fact that Jeff has two mums. So you know. Um, I actually thinking of cartoons. Uh, did either of you see the Fairly Odd Parents? Uh, I did watch it as a child. It's not one of the things I remember watching like religiously or anything. Because um, in the fairy opera, although again, never explicitly said, uh, the uh, outwardly appearing male fairy, Cosmo, has the child. Uh, Wanda and Cosmo are a couple. They're a married couple. Uh, but there's a lot of queer 
bending and changing with the two of them um and he has their child in the movie uh, rather than her um and it's a thing it's not just he's holding it it's literally uh, he births the child um so yeah not in but i put that in kind of the same vein as bugs bunny like it's not intentional queer ep it's it's kind of oh, i can't say the word backdoor queer ep because that's terrible no. um, <laughs> uh it's um uh no so yeah maybe uh help you've got your brain stuck in a loop now haven't you i have um so yeah it's it's kind of not overtly queer rep um it's not played for the queerness but it but it is a queer thing that is happening in front of us um Mm. there you go i avoided saying it Um, nice (laughs) um but i think there's I think a lot of the shows we're talking about are all very similar um, in kind of their style. Um, and I know there's lots of stuff. Uh, I've, I've got to go back to She-Ra because Noelle, Noelle Stevenson um, pushed a lot uh, for the outcome of She-Ra that it was. Um, and the show went up massively in my estimations when the they had the She-Ra and Catra, well, Adora and Catra, uh relationship at the end and it wasn't a kiss in the final episode there was like a couple of episodes of them being together um but uh noelle has uh, very openly said um in lots of places that they uh, bullied the netflix into that being the only option the only way to solve the problem was to have these two characters uh admit romantic feelings for each other and, and express that right like um, i think that kind of brings up something you were saying earlier is like i do think it's great if it's like queer people can just exist in the world you know have queer parents have like queer people just sort of like be there but it's also like for me i find it the most compelling if it's like you truly cannot take away a story's like queerness from existing otherwise it is no longer the story uh because like i I like that about like Steven Universe that like a major character it's like yeah these characters are like are married and they are together constantly and that's like something you can't take away from like a major plot point that happens you know in like the first season that it's like we find out these like Garnet is two gems fused together and they love each other so much that they make a main character you literally can't take that away you know what I mean I think I think it's not being able to edit out the queer um Mm. I think that's and and yeah, you couldn't do that in Steven Universe because it's literally fused into into the into the organic nature of the show. And I think Shira does the same. You could not have those shows without that that queer vein running through it. Yeah, and I think that's the big differentiator in a lot of these shows. When you go through the list, it's like, is this actually a core thing? in like a main character it is part of their life and it's not necessarily you're making a big deal of it but it is part of their life and you cannot edit it out because it's part of them or is this background information and while it's really nice sometimes to have it as background information because you're showing that it's just a thing that is in the world and it's not a big deal um, it's also nice sometimes to say but actually also there are these people and this is part of their truth and you cannot deny it yeah um i think uh kind of following on from that the interesting thing i find about steven universe is it was created as a kind of a direct response by the creator who worked on adventure time um was kind of censored away from the queer stories within there um mm. for the most part bubble gum and marcella marceline mm. even 
um, and kind of their response was to go and make Steven Universe, um, mm-hmm. where it where it could not be censored uh, because it was too integral. Uh, literally, the, one of the main characters you can't edit them out. You can't ignore that queerness for very long, um, even if it's not the main focus of of the story. Um, and yeah, I feel Shira kind of did the same thing. Um, although I think everyone's queer in Shira, are they not all? I'm sure there's a quote somewhere. Uh, where the creator basically says that... Um, I'd say yeah. Queen Angelica is n- possibly not. Hold I'm, right I'm desperately trying to think now. Like, uh... <laughs> I think it's good if we can just say, like, you know what? Like, I don't say it necessarily, but, like, also there are queer people in the show that are a central focus. So, you know what? Everyone's queer. I feel like I take that approach when I write stuff where I'm just like, look, I just made this main character non-binary, so if y'all are like, actually, I think that this character is bisexual. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, he's bisexual. You're right. <laughs> I think the only place where this kind of falls down for me is where people uh, hard label characters as lesbian or gay rather than just kind of um, nebulously uh, attracted. And sometimes that's obviously fine. Uh, but when we don't have enough information and kind of uh, fans are like, yes, this is a lesbian. And it's like, well, are they? Or are they just queer and we are seeing a same-sex relationship? Um, yeah. But I, maybe um, that's just too nuanced for kids' cartoons. Maybe maybe I'm pushing that more than... No, I don't think it is because I think, is it The lo- the Loud House? Again, trying to refer to ones like my child has watched and I've had on in the mm-hmm. background and been like, oh, hey. Um, it gets the daughter... She begins with an L. Um, I think originally the writer said, you know, they wrote her as um, gay. She was intended to be a lesbian, but they never explicitly labelled it. And they were later really glad they didn't because where her character arc went, she ended up being bi. And I thought how they talked about that was really nice because what they said, you know, was the character went on a journey. And in their heads, she started out as, as, as a lesbian. But actually, as the character grew up, she started thinking, well, maybe actually my sexuality is not fixed. It is more fluid. And actually, she then started kind of dating somebody who was kind of male and was like, oh, actually, maybe I'm bisexual. But again, they never fixed on her saying, no, I'm actually definitely bisexual. It was like, I think maybe I am. And I'm experimenting with this because I'm a teenager. And that is the audience this is written for. And we should be allowing these characters to grow and identify who they are because that's what our audience is doing and at this age those things aren't necessarily fixed well and also truly i just feel like it that kind of narrative and like you know that kind of nuance that you have approaching a story really can't be done unless there are multiple queer characters because it's like i think that the fear that a lot of people who are like if they create something and they're like no i intended for this character to be like a lesbian and people are like well i want to have like a full queer reading it's like well it's hard if there's only one because then mm. like that one gay character or that one trans character has to stand for every experience that every trans person or gay person has had ever um, and that's like it's so much easier to do a storyline where it's like this person decides like oh actually like i was identifying as bisexual and now i think i'm actually a lesbian or or like you know i was a lesbian now i'm identifying as bisexual or any like you know, path you might take in a story is much easier when it's like you also just have other characters that people are like, okay, so clearly you're not saying that like every 
you know, lesbian becomes bisexual eventually, or every bisexual becomes lesbian eventually. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's easier when you actually just establish that, like, queerness already exists in your universe and that your character isn't representative, isn't, like, the token one thing that will stand for every single queer person forever. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point because for a lot of shows, it is it is one token character, so they become the representative um and actually where you have got lots of characters that are finding out who they are and you know some are straight some are gay and some are on that journey somewhere between and understanding who they are it makes it so much stronger um so again another one i hate mainly because of the theme tune because my child sings it randomly around the house and it drives me nuts is okay ko oh (laughs) I just hear it randomly from my house and I'm just like, no, I hate it so much. Um, but that show, like, it's a, it's an actual plethora. It's not one or two characters. There are lots of characters. You have pansexual characters. You have trans characters. You have bisexual characters. You have gay characters. You have straight characters. It is literally representative of people. And I think that's great. And I have to give the show a lot of credit for that. And again, it has characters kind of going on through their journey to understand who they are. Um, and it, it's not a massive thing. It is just part of the character stories. And, you know, I absolutely have to applaud that as much as I hate the theme tune. <laughs> um, so we've spoken a lot about stuff now. What about... Um characters that are made queer kind of retrospectively so uh creators that come out afterwards and say yes actually this character was meant to be uh read as queer or was queer but we didn't get a chance to address it um this is not because this is this is not harry potter rant but it absolutely <laughs> fucking is fucking J.K. Rowling. so hey arnold was definitely one that was guilty of this um, so I think I can't even remember when Hey Arnold finished, but it was a long, long time ago in a land far away. Uh, and I think the, the writers came out fairly recently, but time is nebulous to say, oh, yeah, Hey Arnold was always intended to be kind of queer. I can't remember what flavor. Um, like my main memory of that show was his head was shaped like a pasty. Um, but I definitely remember the writers coming out and being like, yeah, that hey, is the most, was. that is the most British thing. Like it's everyone else. <laughs> it's a football head and you're like, it's Cornish pasty. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It is meant to be a football, but yeah, no, in my head, it's a pasty. I'm sorry. Literally they'd say, Hey, football head. That was the thing. Ah, look, I was young. <laughs> I was probably hungry while I was watching it. I'm hungry when I'm watching most things. Um, Okay, so yeah, Hey Arnold is one of the ones that um, I had no idea about this until you mentioned it, that they have apparently said that they are some flavour of queer retrospectively, um, which in some ways is great, but we don't see it, so okay. Uh, Velma obviously canonically is now, but they obviously kind of came out, I think, and said it between shows and were like, oh yeah, she always was. Well, she's been read as, as, as... uh, a lesbian or bisexual woman for a really long time I thought that was pretty kind of yeah just... but they didn't confirm it either way uh, it was always kind of never explicitly stated um, and then they kind of came out more recently and said oh yeah she definitely always was and then I think in the new Scooby-Doo um, she explicitly you mean Mystery is, Incorporated nice. yes um so uh yeah uh, mystery incorporated um 
the creator has come out since because it was cancelled quite unexpectedly. It did three years um, and they were expecting more. So they were planning to uh, delve more into this, but the show ended. Um, uh, and the uh, the direct quote is, Velma in Mystery Incorporated is not bi, she's gay. We always planned on Velma acting a little off and out of character while she was dating Shaggy because that relationship was wrong for her and she had unspoken difficulties with the why. Uh, I don't think Marcel and uh, Velma had time to act on their feelings during the main timeline, but post-reset, they are a couple. Uh, so the creator said that was the plan, but they didn't get there. Um, so another kind of example. And Co- Legend of Korra also does that, where in the comics afterwards, they're like a couple and it's super gay. But in the show, like it's just queer baited all the way through. Well, I mean, like, that's, mm. I, I have a point about that that I, I would like to say, which is just, like, I think that there's, like, a very significant difference, right, between saying, like, I am a, a person who really did want to put this in and was stopped for some reason, whether the show was canceled or I got censored or whatever to say afterwards, I intended for this character to be gay. Because, you know, in that sense, you are saying retro, you know, retrospectively, like, you were not just, like, coming up with, like, you know, this theory or whatever, like, that is true to the text you know like i was queer coding this character for you like your community um versus like a person just saying it like to i don't know <coughs> like, like, Rowling. Yeah. yeah like for clout basically it's like <laughs> the gay clout of saying you're like one of your most weirdly like morally gray characters is gay and we will never ever see it on screen you know what i mean like because like that's how i feel about like the legend of Korra one is like they truly were just censored like that was just like a, a yeah. thing where they were like we we can't like and that's the same thing for like the comics of adventure time were pretty explicit already that like marceline and bubblegum had had a thing but they couldn't show that in the show until the very end because showing it on a network is different than showing it in a comic you know what i mean so like in some ways it's like i i am okay with it if it's like the creator was truly saying it because it's like i was intending for you to read this all along and I am saying this as an affirmation to your community versus like, uh, I'm just going to throw this in. Happy Pride. It's like, no. What? <laughs> yeah. And gay I think people that buy is... my books. So yeah. I guess one of them is gay. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. That one is. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it is a really important difference. Like Cora always blatantly was. Like, I remember friends of mine reaching out to me and saying, are you watching Korra? And I'm like, no, like, I loved Avatar, but I haven't got around to Korra yet. And they were like, Zoe, Zoe, you need to watch Korra. Like, she is completely queer. And I'm like, oh, hey, um, let's watch this. Oh, you're right. Um, So, yeah, she was completely written that way. They never got to explicitly say it. But I think that's okay because, hey, you can be queer and never have to come out the closet for whatever reason your journey is your own you're still queer that's okay um so i think if the creators have written the character that way i'm all right with it as lovely as it is to have it explicitly said i don't think every character needs to be explicitly said because again that's part of everybody's truth and everybody's journey being slightly different um versus five ten years later coming oh yeah that character was always gay Uh uh-huh totally totally you may not have read them that way but they really were because that's bollocks and you're just trying to get my money and naff off. So one that I always think uh, is on this is, um, I don't know if any of you watched Kim Possible. I think... I think oh, you... oh, yes. I feel like I know where you're going with this. Um, the sexual tension between uh, henchwoman Shigo and Kim Possible is... Yes. Um... <laughs> it's a little... Uh... It's a little on the nose. <laughs> yeah, I've, 
I always found that I find it really interesting when <laughs> I've just put up. I just uh, quickly googled it, and um, it's got a list of the uh, the pet names they have for each other. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, no, no. Like I, I totally feel that because it's like I, I think it's also funny when like a creator doesn't seem to intend it to be that way, but just like either the way the actors play it or like the way that it gets animated or something like that just ends up being like, hmm, <laughs> this has awakened something in me. I think because like that's true of like um the the popular headcanon and for a lot of people I know who really like Danny Phantom is that Danny is trans and like that's totally not an intended reading, but they were just like. Look, but makes so Danny's, much sense right they're like if danny's genetic clone is like a female then that means that he also has like you know xx chromosomes but he presents as a boy which means he's trans and he also gets really uncomfortable about people touching his chest or calling him a girl and so think about it think about it really hard and i'm like yeah not an intended writing but like definitely a reading that has gained precedence for the way that it like it just plays out in the show that's how i feel about the like Kim Shigo thing. I'm like, definitely doesn't seem like they were trying to write that, but wow, dang. Um, and that always uh, surprised me as one that hasn't been retrospectively kind of uh, at least Shigo labeled as as some flavor of queer. Uh, obviously, uh, Kim Possible goes off and dates her high school boyfriend who is just... He's a man, for sure. <laughs> um, He's so inept. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I find that uh, a really interesting, um, I always kind of expect to see uh, the creators of that show go, oh yeah, well that was kind of the idea because it was so uh, within kind of uh, the audiences and, and, and fan community and fan fiction, it was just, it, it so was, um, it was kind of taken as canon without the creator uh, giving permission, I guess, mm-hmm. um, in, in the fan world. Um Kind of uh, one that I was uh, gonna we're gonna, we're swinging back round to Disney for one to uh, end on or end this section on, and that's um, Elsa from uh, Frozen. Uh, yeah, like I, Elsa's a really interesting one because after the after the first one, everyone was like, "Oh my god!" Like she'd be the perfect princess to come out uh, and say that she's gay, um, which obviously Disney were like, <laughs> "No." Um, and you know we had the second one and it was like well okay is she is she ace then like you know actually is is sex not a thing for her is she going with ace and just like we're, we're just we're just not gonna go anywhere near that um and i think it's really is disappointing um because she is a prime candidate to do something with and at some point disney's gonna have to give in and do it they just are um and Elsa would seem like a, a good one to do it for because, you know, you can say, but you've got Anna uh, alongside her as, as the counterpart who is straight and in a hetero relationship. So it's not all about Elsa and her queerness. You can have both and that's okay. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I think in some ways, like talking about Frozen, First of all, I have to be honest, I have a vendetta against Frozen simply because it's based off of the Snow Queen, which I love. Yes. And then I'm like, knowing that the Disney was like, oh, we did the Snow Queen means like probably no one is going to touch it again for a long time. And I'm like, no, God damn it. Um, I used I used to have when I was a kid a VHS of the Snow Queen and she was such a stone cold bitch in it. Yes. Um, yes. And she was just like, the animation was terrible. It was it was just, uh, hell knows where that came from in my life. Um, 
but she was just it was it was uh quite uh, close to Hans Christian Andersen uh, version and she was she was stone cold there was there was no there were, there were no fluffy uh <laughs> animated snowmen running around that castle um but yeah I think you're right I think uh, I, I agree with the with with the chip the icicle that's on my shoulder uh, in regards to Frozen and the, the Snow uh, Queen and then like also yeah like that for one and then for two I'm just like I think like something that kind of like makes me feel some sort of way about Frozen is that like Frozen's commercial success I think is the reason why it like did not get to have a queer reading right like because you can't tank your commercial success like of course you can't tank it by putting queer people into it because that would be I don't know just like too hard I guess for Disney a multi-billion dollar company to have one of their things flop because there's a gay person in it right but like and I think they're still they're still making money off Frozen I mean Disney Day Disney Plus Day or whatever it was came out and there was an Olaf short in it or so you know there's there was they are five still... of them i watched them this morning with the child they were very funny um but yeah uh they're um, definitely... there's, <laughs> there's a lot of frozen content still it, you know it is it is the big disney franchise still um and will be i think for a while they they cannot risk making that 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 queer canon um within that and in some ways yeah. i quite like the fact that she's not officially anything because it does enable people to give their own reading if we're saying kind of the commercial kind of juggernaut that is frozen means they're never going to come out and say you know Elsa's either which way or the other I think that's absolutely fine what I think is interesting is I wasn't actually that bothered either way when people were talking about Elsa because I was like but we do have other princesses who I would say that's almost more a thing for like Merida. When are we going to have the conversation about Merida? Like her entire oh. plot is that she doesn't want to get married to a man. Come on, so um, true, so true. Um, also Mulan. Yeah, icon for the trans community everywhere. But I, I yes. wanted to say though about like the commercial success thing though is like I feel like my personal <laughs> beloveds. Sorry, pardon, just cough. My personal beloveds of like uh, animation that I was like, yay, there's like gay characters or like trans characters or whatever are all like commercial flops. Like they they are not renewed for things or like the creator gets like blacklisted or something. Because like, okay, I want to very briefly or maybe longly talk about like I like. Kipo and the Wonder Beasts, er, and the Age of the Wonder Beasts, and that's so awesome. And Rad's Christ, the guy who made it, was like, we have a black character in here who, like, the first time that we're like, oh, he's gay, it's not like he's like, expressing attraction to a man, which is like that that would be fine. It's that Kipo makes an is like, I really like you, and he's like, I'm gay. I was like, that's such a new and interesting way to be like, oh, cool. And then they remain friends for the entire thing. She was like, oh, I was just reading the wrong signals. And then he gets a boyfriend, and that is like something very like close and integral to the plot. Is just like, yeah, there's like a gay black character who is a major player on this show and he has a boyfriend and him trying to take his boyfriend to a prom in an apocalyptic world is like a major plot point i thought that that was great and then rads christ was like i really would have wanted to make another show with netflix but they don't want to have me anymore and i was like damn it oh my god and same thing with young justice was like so to be fair young justice did not really have like explicitly gay characters until its third season when it was like renewed but and Aquaboy was Canonic, yes. uh, canonically, can, oh dear, uh, was canonically gay, weren't they? Was that not yes. from the beginning? 
not so he this is the thing young justice is was like a commercial flop for like a multitude of reasons unfortunately but like one of the things that they did that like irritated me so much when i was first watching it is like they like are like okay we gotta put these characters into straight relationships because calder in i i like calder he is my favorite character probably other than jaime reyes who is my very favorite character but i just like blue beetle um but calderam who is aqualad he's like first season they just made an episode where they were like and oh oh wait wait, wait. actually because we don't see him having any romantic relationships we have to have an episode where it shows that he actually really liked this girl back home we just never show it again but then it's like obviously i don't know like to me i was like obviously he's gay i'm sorry like i don't know how to explain to you that you seem to have written a very queer character and then put him in a straight relationship for some reason but then season three onwards they were like no he's he's dating a man and then you get to see him them kiss on screen and you're like woo but every time i'm like oh i really love this animated series for having gay people other than steven universe and shira i'm like damn they have all been commercial flops but maybe i just like things that don't necessarily need to pander to capitalism you know (laughs) No, no, I think it's a really, really true point. So, you know, Owl House cancelled and, you know, it's been pretty well talked about that it's cancelled because mm-hmm. they couldn't, like, get the money for a, a show that was so obviously queer. Like, it's the lead characters. Um, and also Disney had Amphibia running at the same time. And, oh, my God, they can't have two shows with queer, queer characters aimed at the same market because, oh, where's the money going to come from? Uh, you've got Dragon Prince, um, which has been on hiatus for a while now, and it has now been confirmed. That's We're finally going to get because the uh, creators a problematic douchebag. Oh no! Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, hold on. Uh, yeah, the Dragon Prince uh, creator um, is in trouble for sexual assault of members of staff. I think. Oh, oh no! That's awful. Yeah, because they also made Avatar, and I was like, no. Yeah, and it may be that that is truthfully the only reason, but there is the cynical part of my brain that says, yeah, but had this been a kind of more straight show, would they have found some way to bring it back sooner without him? But, you know, that might just be because I'm old and cynical at this point. Um, You've got The Hollow. That didn't, I think, last very long. Two, three seasons, if I remember The Hollow was crazy, though. I mean, The Hollow was weird. (laughs) It was... (laughs) Did anyone else see The Hollow? Because it was like they were on some horror place and then it turned out to be like a competition game that they were in. Like it was, yeah, it was a thing. It was a time they were having. Yes. Um, But yeah, I think most of these shows usually get kind of three seasons if you're lucky and then they get cancelled. Where it's that explicit, you've obviously got other ones where it's it's not main characters and, and they last longer um but we are getting more and more of it out there like it it's definitely becoming more of a thing i mean i'm firmly in the longest living kind of queer character we've got is spongebob squarepants and i'm you know that's fine i'm okay with it i'm here for spongebob and his adventures and the stupid theme tune um (laughs) which when i get drunk i have a tendency to sing uh (laughs) so um you know he lives his asexual sponge life and i'm very proud of spongebob I think, um, although we've not touched on it, and I think it's probably um, another podcast, if uh, Eli, you'd uh, come back and talk to me about it, is um, 
uh, people of color um, and LGBT uh, LGBT characters. Um, I mean, I think like this is my thing. Like when I talk about like the commercial flops thing, also is like I feel like it is probably significant that the ones that I mentioned are ones that like flopped because it's like oh. Y'all have black characters? Y'all have gay black characters? Oh no, like that's too many token things for us to put in. Like, do you know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah, I feel like that is such a thing where it's like, Catra and like Adora's relationship probably in some ways was like, it's, you have the, the hard thing to, you know, break the barrier of, which is that they are gay, right? Like, but Catra being able to be read is like, maybe she's just like Italian. She's got olive skin. I don't know. But like, you know, the fact that you don't have to read her as a person of color probably contributes to the fact that there was one less barrier to break, you know? That's a point. We're talking about Disney and like Raya. Raya is so queer with Princess Undercut, like completely. No, because they're queer in the same way Kim Possible and She-Ra are queer. Like, they're never going to say anything. It's just like, ladies fighting sexual tension. <laughs> yeah, and they have a cute yeah. pet name for each other. Ooh, ah, uh, like... <laughs> And yeah. you totally know if they made Kim Possible now, She-Go would have an undercut. Yes, so true. So, uh, I feel this is uh, kind of a good place to uh, end our uh, queer representation romp um do either of you have any last points you want to make or anything else you kind of want to say as your is your finishing statement i think like like you said i think queer representation in children's media has come a long way like knowing that we have these things and that it seems to be more common obviously like now is really exciting um and like you said i think we can also do better like knowing that steven universe is like first canonical gay wedding like on screen was like three years ago means like we have to keep pushing for not just like diversity in actors diversity in like writers rooms but also to know that like that diversity needs to go you know all the way to the top because Cartoon Network still tried to censor those things before it became commercially viable you know and that's because those like those monetary decisions are being impacted by people trying to weigh against like do we value money or the queer community more essentially so like diversity has to exist everywhere like we have to have equality like you know in in jobs in animation in writing and all of these like creative things and obviously beyond that but focus as a topic to continue to have these stories be told because like these stories are vital they're vital to children figuring themselves out they're vital to adults figuring themselves out and for queer people who are already out or like you know secure in who they are to know that their existence is not going to always be erased you know um because i'm like i would love for a character to on screen say I'm bisexual because I'm like I have had so many times where I'm just like just say the word bisexual I I as a bisexual need to see you say I'm bisexual and I need non-binary people to say I'm non-binary you know so because you can't live in implications forever so representation matters not just on the screen but behind the screen and what makes it you know in creation of what makes it onto the screen 
Absolutely. And I think your point about the bisexual and non-binary is really true. I think we're, yeah, I think we're getting better. I think we're um, improving, but I think we're still kind of, uh, we talk about those absolutes of the spectrum. You are gay, you are lesbian, you are straight. We're not really very good at filling in those nebulous bits in the middle. Um, mm -hmm. And we definitely haven't uh, really begun to scratch the surface of that other axis of queerness, which is, which is gender. So mm -hmm. I... I sadly agree. I think we are. I think we started the journey, but I think we're a long way off the the destination at the end. Mm -hmm. Zoe, have you got anything you'd like to say? Yeah, I think I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I would love to see more acknowledgement that kind of gender and sexuality are a, are a spectrum, uh, and that people kind of go on that journey throughout their life. Uh, and that's it for another episode. Thank you very much again to my guests, Eli and Zoe. Um, and either of you have any parting words or anything you'd like to shamelessly plug? No, um, I just think, yep, absolutely. Um, I'm all here for representation and more of it, please. Um, but thank you very much for having me. It's been a great discussion. If you like queer stories and you want to see queer stories written by people of color and people who are really caring about this stuff. Hey, you can listen to my podcasting stuff. I run Astro Podcasting Network. We are really committed to telling diverse stories from all, you know, sorts of people. So my show that I run under the electric stars was sort of the first show when I took over under the electric stars is a cyberpunk audio fiction about Kane Reyes, the fastest driver in Metropolis West. Uh, the main character is like me, a bisexual Filipino non-binary person. And everybody is queer. I think it's great. There's like canonical queer relationships coming up. There are canonical queer relationships that are already in the show. Um, and it's based off of a lot of my love for like, animated shows like Motor City and Young Justice and like all these other really great things that I was like what if we made it with people of color and gay people and disabled people and trans people so that's my plug for my show you can also listen to Crown Jewels that's our adult dramedy one written by uh, Inigo Sharwani Pakistani queer people really cool to see like South Asian queer representation and um, also just like a lot of really cool stuff in that show. You can listen to Spectral Evidence, which is written by someone who I mentor, which is about um, a trans girl named Birdie trying to handle sort of like and, and deal with the mysteries in like her small town. And you can also listen to Skillset, which is written by Aiden, a uh, Filipino trans man who writes about um, four friends trying to like co cope basically with the changes happening in their magical world where talent kind of equals magic. Uh, so like whatever skill you have, like writing, drawing, like playing the piano, those things all transform into like these magical abilities. All of the shows we have and more stuff that like, those are just our four main shows are written by queer people who really care about telling stories about people like us. So if you like that sort of stuff, come listen to us. It's free. Also, you don't have to pay anything to listen. Um, I think that that's my, my main plug for things. And thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Don't forget to catch the next episode where we yet again delve into the depths of narrative on the screen, on the page, and in the stories we create and play ourselves. Thanks very much and goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>